A few years ago, I went surfing with my good friend Pete. Now, I am a perpetual learner, and, it, and a, he is a better surfer than I am. And the waves were big that day, and the sea was choppy, and Pete was having a hard time and decided that it wasn't worth it. But I wanted to give it a try, and so I jumped in. And the waves were much bigger than they seemed from the safety of the shore. And they came one right after another. And I kept swimming, and I would dive under the wave, come up, grab a breath of air, and then four or five strokes, dive under. Breath of air, four or five strokes, dive under. And I kept going and going and going, but I never made it past the breakers. And I kept thinking, if I just try harder. So breathe, few strokes, dive. Breathe, few strokes, dive. And I kept going, and, and yet the waves kept feeling like they were bigger and bigger, and I wasn't making any progress. And then I turned and looked over my shoulder, and I saw the rocks were coming, and there was a jetty out to my side, and the feelings of anxiety were beginning to overwhelm me, and I thought, try harder, try harder, dive, breathe, swim five strokes, dive, breathe, swim five strokes. And, and the anxiety was raising, and, and, and I saw the rocks, and try harder, try harder, try harder. But doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results wasn't working. And I felt anxious and I, here I go, here I go, and nothing. Nothing could outdo the tide of the ocean, which was bigger and stronger than me. Maybe you've never been caught in an actual riptide, but the truth is we've all been there. We believe the myth that if we just try harder, we can make this thing work. And try harder makes a good cliche, but applied to the wrong circumstances can actually be deadly. And there are times in our lives that no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard I tried in that moment, I could not overcome the power of the situation that I was in. I was never going to be successful, and trying harder only made it worse. Maybe you've been there and maybe, maybe we feel defeated or, or barren or, or stuck in, and whatever we're doing is not working. And working harder is just like revving the engine on your car when you're stuck in the sand or the snow and it's just kind of spraying things everywhere and just making a mess of things and we're not getting anywhere. But we keep trying harder. Webster's Dictionary defines barrenness as inability to reproduce, an inability to gain results, lacking in purpose, lacking in charm or excitement. And it leads to this place of barrenness. It's like a desert and it's just dry and broken. And, and maybe some of you are there right now. The last two years have just stripped away so much in our lives. And, and maybe you have this sense of a lack of joy or a lack of purpose at work. And the harder you try, the more you dig in, the more we struggle, we just keep falling further and further behind. Or maybe it's a relationship that, that's just barren and it's dry and it's cracked and it's bruised and it's broken and, and you keep praying and you keep reaching out and, you, and every time the person takes it the wrong way. And you think, the harder I try, the worse it gets. What do I do? Or maybe there's a barrenness in, in, 
in your financial situation. And every time you try and every time you, you, you step out, we just, at the end of the month, you're further and further behind. And life isn't headed the way that you always dreamed that it would be. I've been there and maybe you've been there or maybe you're there today and, and we're really struggling in life and there's a sense of barrenness. There's a sense of we're overwhelmed by the sea of life. Well, this morning, I, I want to set the stage for one of the things that I love about Scripture is that it shares real stories of people who have faced real struggle. And today we're going to look at the story of Hannah. And Hannah's story is one of those hinge points in Scripture where, where there's a significant change about to happen. And, and the book of 1 Samuel chronologically follows the book of Judges. Now, the book of Judges starts off with uh, hero after hero who come and intercede on the behalf of God's people. But then they fall back into the trap of their old ways, and, and then another hero comes, and and then they fall back into the trap of their old way, and then another hero comes. And, but, but by the end of the book, this cycle has repeated itself so many times that Israel is now stuck. They're lacking purpose. They're spiritually barren. And in fact, Scripture says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's the California equivalent of, you do you, bro. And, and we see that all the time where we just, we kind of, everybody just does what's right in their own eyes. And it leads to this brokenness and this dysfunction and this barrenness. And we wind up hurt. And Hannah's story breaks in at this point. And, it, and everything's about to change. And, there, there, and so God introduces a new character and new character traits are about to be revealed in the midst of brokenness. And so we pick up the story in 1 Samuel Chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, There was a certain man from Ramathim, a Zephumite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. And it goes on, it gives his whole genealogy, and, and he's not the main character, but what it says next in the next verse is what's important. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other, Paniah. Paniah had children, but Hannah had none. Wow, what a powerful descriptor. Hannah had none. That's a heavy statement. So much is loaded in those simple few words. That was the few words that Scripture uses to describe her. Hannah had none. Furthermore, Hannah is actually mentioned first in the order of the two wives. So more than likely, she was his first wife. And more than likely, because she was barren, he had a second wife. And she produced heirs. She produced children. But Hannah had none. You can feel the brokenness in the story. You can feel the barrenness. You can feel the hurt. But Scripture picks up. Year after year, the man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. Now, Shiloh was where the high priest was. It's the place of sacrifice and the place of festivals. So he went up to sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Paniah, and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed her womb, 
Her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Now, there's three things that I want us to see from this passage. And the first is this, that Hannah was provoked in her pain. Not only was she in pain and, and brokenness and, and like not only was she just in year after year, year after year, just struggling, but, but she's not only in this place of pain, but she's being provoked. And, and sometimes Hollywood likes to show these TV shows about sister wives and they show all of this kind of idea of glamorizing uh, having multiple wives. And that is not the case here in Scripture. That is not what Scripture shows us. Here, this sister wife, Paniah, is provoking Hannah because she is barren. We naturally compare ourselves to others, but when we are in the midst of pain, it's worse when others kick us while we are down. And that's exactly what's happening here. Hannah is broken before the Lord, and Paniah keeps, you know, mocking her and irritating her and kicking her wires down. And it's just, that is so heartbreaking. The story continues on in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. This went on for year after year. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. And her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Let me just pause there for a second. Year after year, this kept going on and on and on and on. Sometimes transformation takes time. Like a caterpillar that's being transformed into a beautiful butterfly, that transformation takes time. We want God to step into the middle of our pain and fix it in a moment. But God's transformation of character often takes time. You've often maybe heard it said that, that we live in a microwave world, but we serve a crockpot God. Microwave food is yeah, okay, but crockpot food, like the, the flavors really begin to come out as the, as the stew begins to cook. But it takes time. God's up to something far more beautiful, but it's going to take time. But when we're in the midst of the pain, that year after year is heartbreaking. The next thing I want us to see is that her husband's response. He says, why are you weeping? Seriously? Guys, why are we so thick-headed sometimes? He just doesn't get it. And he makes it all about him, and he's just like, uh, uh, don't I mean more to you? Guys, sometimes we should just learn to be empathetic. But the story continues. First Samuel, picking up in uh, verse 12. And as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. And Hannah was praying, and her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli thought that she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going uh, to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Now, there are three points that I want us to see in this passage. And the first is that Hannah was provoked in her pain. And the second is that those who mattered most missed the point. Like I sometimes say to my wife, like I completely miss the point and I'll say to her, like, why are you still crying? You know, it's been years. Why don't we just move on? Hannah can't move on. She's in her pain and her grief. 
And, and sometimes I miss the point and I completely lack emotional maturity and I completely make it about me. And I'm like, don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? And, and, and Eli does the same thing. But these are the two people that she is looking to. You see, Eli is the high priest and he doesn't get it either. And, and, and he's saying, like, like, don't you just, like, shouldn't you just be praying and, and, and seeking God? Why are you drunk? And he doesn't understand that, that she's, she is praying to the Lord. She's pouring out her heart. Later in, in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 3, it says, The word of the Lord was rare in those days. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, Eli, the high priest, didn't get it because he doesn't understand how someone could be that close to God. That God wasn't even speaking to Eli in this time, and Eli is missing the boat. We don't really know. Or maybe Eli was so spiritually barren that he couldn't see how somebody else was that passionate and honest and raw before the Lord. We don't know. But either way, he completely misses the mark. Both Hannah's husband and the high priest, these are the voices that are meant to be God's word of encouragement to her, and they don't get it. They don't see what God is up to, and, and either of them are no help at all. You see, sometimes when we're in these moments, we, we, we look to other people to meet us, and they just don't get it. I was sharing this with Mike uh, a little bit about the sermon this week, and Ella was in Mike's office, and, and she kind of summed it up well. And she said, it's that moment when, when those who hold you drop you. That's exactly it. That moment when those who hold you drop you, and they just don't get it. Those who mattered most missed the mark. And so Hannah is, is, is struggling and she's stuck there and, and she responds in verse 15 and she says, Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled and I have not been drinking wine or beer and I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. So there's three things that I want us to see in this passage. The first is that, that Hannah was provoked in her pain. Second is those that mattered most missed the mark. And the third is that Hannah was struggling with the iceberg of identity. So she's struggling with this, this brokenness or this barrenness that has led to brokenness. She, you see, she is pouring out her soul. The, the, the barrenness has led to a place where, where her soul is fractured and dried. And she's praying here out of her great anguish and grief, Scripture says. And, and Hannah is asking the question of, who am I? This is, this is attacking her core identity. And, and Satan is just speaking his words into her life. And, and she's no lo she feels no longer valued. And, and her grief is overwhelming. And you can just feel the pain in Hannah's life here in this moment. But the question that I want to ask is, how am I like Hannah? How are we like Hannah? And, and, and Jen said to me this week, uh, maybe, maybe we are not physically barren, but, but all of us go through seasons where our soul is barren. And I thought that was so powerful because all of us have these moments where we are experiencing barrenness. And so 
I was thinking through what are the signs of barrenness? What are the signs of barrenness that may be in your and my life? First, there's, there's restlessness. There's this deep-seated restlessness that, that things aren't the way they should be. And then there's this pain and there's this brokenness. There's a lack of purpose. And, and, and when we experience this lack of purpose, we often try harder. And, and when we're in seasons where trying harder only makes it worse, maybe we're in a season of barrenness. And for Hannah, she was provoked in her pain. And I want to ask us the question of, of where are those voices that seem to be mocking you? Those voices in our culture or those voices in our lives that, that kind of just say, you're going down the wrong path. You're doing it all wrong. Or, or maybe it's your fault. And they're, and they're provoking you. They, it feels like they're mocking you. Or, or maybe those voices are, are in our own heads. And they're just beating us down over and over again. Or point number two, those who mattered most missed the mark. Who are those people in your life who you most counted for, counted on, and then they've misunderstood you in your pain? Who are those people that you thought to, this person's going to understand, and you picked up the phone and you called them, and after you got off the phone, you didn't feel any better? And it's, and it's not their fault. I'm not blaming them. They just, they don't get it. Like Eli, just, he didn't even get Hannah. And, and maybe you're in a season where, where the people around you that you most thought in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of this grief, in the midst of whatever you're facing, you're like, I can count on this person and, and they don't get it either. Or maybe you're in a season where you're dealing with the iceberg of identity. You see, Shiloh, the place where they were giving their sacrifice is meant to be the place of blessing. And it's here that Hannah experiences the pain in the most real and profound way. You see, as, as I'm sharing this, I recognize that, that we are getting ready for the holiday season. Thanksgiving's just around the corner, and then it's Christmas. And some of us are carrying unseen burdens that are below the waterline. And it's not just the little tip of the iceberg. It's, it's below the surface that, that we are most grieved. And it's when we go to Thanksgiving and Christmas and that chair is empty. It's the, it's the place where it's meant to be the place of blessing that's most broken. And so my question to us, to me, is what's below our waterline? What's, what's that thing that I'm struggling with my identity of who am I without this job, of, of who am I without this relationship, of who am I in the midst of financial struggles? And we begin to say it's, it's not just the thing, it's the thing beneath the thing. That if I don't have this job, I don't know who I am. If, I, if I'm losing, it's not just about the money, it's, it's, it's the how am I going to make it in retirement? How am I going to make it through this week or pay this bill? And it begins to prod at all of the wounds in our hearts of, I'm not good enough. I don't, I don't know who I am. And, and we begin to struggle with grief and loss. Maybe you've heard of the five stages of grief. They're denial, anger, bartering, depression, and acceptance. 
And we've all probably heard of them in one way, shape, or form, but we often imagine them as, as, as a neat graph and, and simple steps that we just simply move through, and then it's all better. When in reality, it looks more like a giant hairball that our cat threw up in the middle of our lives. And it's gross, and it's messy, and it's mashed together, and we bounce around from one to the next, and we're lost, and it's like, ugh, just get rid of this thing. It's not pretty. And we're really struggling to know where we're at at all. And that's where Hannah is in this moment. And she's struggling with, with anger. She's struggling with brokenness. She's struggling with depression. She's struggling with, with bartering. And, and what do I do in the midst of all of this? I don't know about you, but I often struggle with bartering. Where I make promises to God to try and change the situation. Where God, if you will only do this, then I will do blank. Whenever I was a kid, it was, God, if you'll only let the Eagles win this week, then, then, then I'll give an extra $10 in the offering. But when we get older, it becomes bigger things. God, if you'll, only, if you'll only fix this relationship. God, if you'll only give me this promotion. God, if you'll only blank, then I will blank. But there's a, there's a, there's a fundamental difference between bartering with God and genuinely offering God a blessing out of the abundance of a heart of thankfulness. I'm saying when God gives us something, we we bless him back. And there's a difference between that and bartering. And and next week, we're going to pick up that very point in the story of Hannah. But I want to just put a pause there for a second. and, And I want us to think about bartering for just a second. Because bartering is fundamentally about trying to negotiate with God as if God owes us something. The, the reality is that, that, if, that if, God, if, if I do this, then you, you somehow owe me. I was good. I went to church on Sunday. I read my Bible five days out of the seven this week. And we, we have this idea that, that, that if I just put my money in the vending machine, that God somehow owes us. And we barter. And, and it's, that's not a realistic view of God. It's actually a pagan view of God. But the reality is that, that God is at work even when we don't see him working. God's at work behind the scenes and God was at work behind the scenes in Hannah's life. And and that doesn't mean that everything's gonna work out the way that we want it to, but it does mean that God sees us and that God is present with us in all of the things, even in the painful things. That God is present in those places. I came across a poem this week. It's called God in All Things by St. Francis. And it's simple. It just says this. It was easy to love God in all that was beautiful. But the lesson of deeper knowledge, though, instructs me to embrace God in all things. This is so difficult. God in all things. God with us in the lion's den. God with us in the fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God with us in the barrenness. God with us in the brokenness. That God wants to be with us right here in this moment. And that doesn't mean that God creates all of the pain and the brokenness in our world. Only that God promises us that he is with us. I know in my life, there are still times where I'm struggling to say, God, where are you? And I don't always see God with me in the brokenness, but God promises that he is with us. And that's, those are the moments where we need to trust and keep leaning in. There's something that I've recognized um, living here in Southern California. 
Southern California is great. I love it. it it's, it's almost like a climate without seasons. But you cannot live in perpetual sunshine. You know, there's this thing, there's a version of life called toxic positivity, where we never face our pain. You see, growing up, I grew up in an area where we had four seasons, spring, summer, winter, fall. Well, not in that order, but there all the seasons were there. And, and I grew up in a, in a place where we had that. And certain things like leaves had to fall to the ground and die before spring could happen. But here in Southern California, we don't always talk about the weather unless it rains and or if it's cold, and then we just simply don't go outside for a day. But we, we expect the rain to come out tomorrow. And, and there, there's something about that, that, that we expect there to be perpetual sunshine. And so when hard times come, and they will, we are surprised by it, and we're overwhelmed. But we must grieve our losses. We must take time to make way for what is next. And, and this is not the end of the story. That God is not done yet with Hannah's life. We're just going to put a pause in it for this week, and we're going to come back next week to Hannah's story. This isn't the end. God wants to do something more. God's in the midst of birthing something. We just don't know what it is. But sometimes there's something slow, and there's something happening on that iceberg of identity, below the waterline. God is up to something here, and, and Scripture hinges on this story. But it doesn't end with winter. Spring is coming. Way back in the early days of TV, before my time, there was a comedy duo called Burns and Allen, made up of George Burns and Gracie Allen. And Gracie was portrayed as a bit of a dimwit, and yet, below the surface, Gracie possessed a profound and simple wisdom. And one of her best lines was, never put a period where God puts a comma. And as I reread that line over and over again, I, I thought about it. And I've been obsessed by, by the wisdom and the insight of that thought. Never put a period where God puts a comma. And it makes me really think about in my own life and, and, and how often I put periods where God was simply putting commas. And, and, and I think that this is the end of my story of this is never going to change. I'm going to be stuck here in this brokenness of it. And I just need to try harder. I need to try harder. I need to try harder. And it's killing me. But God is up to something. But it's going to take a transformation. It's going to take something bigger than me. And, and as, a, as a reminder for each of us this week, I invite you to, to take out a piece of paper. Maybe there's, you've got a scrapbook near you, or and you want to grab a, just a one-inch-by-one-inch one piece of paper. And, and, and I want you to put a simple comma on it, just like this. A simple comma, nothing else. And, and I want you to, to slip it into your wallet or into your pocket or into your purse and every time you see it, I want you to think about that area of your life that feels barren. And I want you to, you don't have to write what it is, but just think about it. And every time you pull it out of your pocket, I want you to be reminded that God isn't done with your story yet. Never put a period where God is putting a comma. Never, never stop and think that God is done with me, that God is just going to discard me on the scrap heap of history, that, that, that somehow Hannah is just going to be forgotten and this is the end of her story. No, this is just beginning. This is not the end. 
And I believe that even in my own life that God is up to something and, and I often grieve and, and I wanna just like push other people away, the people who have let me down or the people who are provoking me or I wanna push away the iceberg of identity and say, no, no, I wanna push all of this away. But, but you see, God is about ready to speak. He's about ready to do something profound. If we will just remember that there's a comma there, there's a pause, and God is about ready to do something beautiful in your life. And I don't know what it is, but brothers and sisters, let us lean into God. Let us look to God and, and let us hold this reminder for this week. And let's come back next week where we look at the life of Hannah and we look forward to the season of hope. But, but as, you look, as you walk through the rest of this holiday season, may you carry this with you as a simple reminder that God isn't done yet. God isn't done yet. God isn't done in the midst of your barrenness of your finances. God isn't done yet in that job situation that feels like it's stuck. God isn't done yet in that relationship with maybe your child who walked away from you or from faith. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a parent or a relationship that, that you're just, you've been praying about and God's not done yet. And so I invite you to just, as we come to a place of prayer, I invite you to just open your hands and, and put that comma in the midst of your hands where you can hold it, symbolizing those things in your life that God isn't yet done with. Let's pray. Father God, we lift up to you to the areas of our life where we're struggling, God. Those areas where we are experiencing brokenness and barrenness. And God, we're struggling with our own identity where we say, I'm not good enough. We begin to believe the lies of those that taunt and provoke us. And those that, that we expected to carry us have let us down. And Lord, so we just come before you and we pour out our heart before you and we say, God, come and hear our prayers. And God, would you remind us, would you speak to us this morning that you're placing a comma and not a period in our lives. And there's a new chapter coming and that you're about ready to birth something new. Even if we're past the age of childbirth or even if we are past the age of retirement, God, you are not done with us yet. This may, relationship may be coming to a close, but God, you are about to do something new. And so, Lord, we release our lives to you and we put it in your hands and we trust you that you are about to do something big and beautiful. God, thank you for walking alongside Hannah. Thank you for giving us her story. And God, I pray that you would challenge us this week to look to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us this week. I pray that you have an awesome and a powerful week and that you would experience God as close to you, just as I am praying that God would be close to me. May we all walk forward knowing that God will be with us and this isn't the end of our story. Have a great week.